in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 107 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and we are not talking about the postseason. And after watching the Padres lose a heartbreaker, the Blue Jays are already gone, the Twins are already gone, and I think they've been eliminated from 2021. I'm, 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 no, this is kind of not as stressful as it could have been. This is relaxing, right, Andy? Ooh, boy, to be a Twins fan. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how, how do you lose the mathematical uh, probabilities of losing, what is it, 18 postseason games consecutively? I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty astounding. That's uh, the Buffalo Bills of, of the 1980s are, are like looking at that with their mouths open, uh, wondering how that can happen. <laughs> you could almost get into the human element if it's the same group of people. If, if this is still, I don't know, Joe Maurer and Brad Radke or whatever, it's different people, different pe- people who won't e- weren't even like playing baseball when and I'm, I'm talking like Little League baseball when this streak started. It is remarkable. Yeah, I'm really not sure what I would tell a Twins fan. <laughs> uh, maybe a uh, root for the Vikings. Um but uh, yeah, it's uh, there was a lot of baseball going on uh, the last couple of days. I mean, it's it, it probably is as close to like a March Madness day of watching baseball as you could ever have. Um, so yeah, that was kind of unique. And uh, yeah, there's some pretty good games and some pretty good results in there. I mean, the Indians are already out. The Blue Jays are already out. Uh, and then it seemed like the other teams hadn't even started their series yet, and, and other teams were already eliminated. So. Um, but, you know, we, we know that uh, the Dodgers are good and um, the Padres are also good. But now they got to win two in a row to stay in. So um, quite a lot of drama, uh, which a three-game series is going to provide. And I haven't done the math on this, but I'm wondering if the Brewers, where the Brewers would get to 500 on the season. If I'm thinking, okay, so they could get through this round without getting to 500 on the season. I think if they get through a best of five, they would still be at 500, if I'm doing the math correctly. So it would be the National League Championship Series where they would finally get over 500 for the season. And, you know, proud we are of all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's that's what this postseason was going to be. That's what this season was going to be. You're going to have a team that was never at 500 all year. That's the crazy thing. The Brewers never, ever got above 500 all season. And... If the Giants had like shifted one of their wins to be against the Rockies instead of the Mariners, and the Brewers had shifted one of their wins to be against like the Tigers instead of like the Pirates, then the Giants would be a postseason team. I mean, it's it's the most arbitrary of tiebreakers and definitions, but you know, you, you just can't. They couldn't have set up anything that would have actually made sense and would have been fair. So. Um, and they couldn't have playoff games uh, additionally because you just can't move people around in the middle of a pandemic and, and play extra games and disrupt the schedule. So, um, But yeah, you, you feel a little bit bad, I think, for the Brewers and, and the Padres especially because they're just so hamstrung from a pitching standpoint. They're, they just they go in and all of a sudden, boop, nope, you don't have Devin Williams. Nope, you don't have Mike Clevenger. You don't have Denelson Lamette. 
yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just unfortunate that they're not able to sort of show their best face, put their best foot forward in this series. All right, real quick, we're going to get into the Giants' end-of-the-year press conference, but how much baseball did you watch yesterday? Honestly, I didn't watch very much at all. I watched a lot of highlights, um, but uh, I, I kind of don't watch a whole lot of postseason baseball until it gets to elimination games or it gets to uh, the LCS, um, you know, just because I you, you fork over so much of your life to watching baseball that I tend to take a little bit of a break. But um, I'll definitely be watching later on. Got it. No, I just asked because I've been watching for the last decade. I've been covering in my previous job, you know, all these series and just running around like a like a chicken with its head cut off. Uh, this is a little bit different experience where I'm covering more as a fan. I'm not covering it at all. I'm just watching. And last night, yesterday morning, I mean, that was so much baseball and it's fun to a point. But even I get tired of that much baseball. That is just way more than the FDA allows. You know, a friend of mine uh, texted me and he's a Blue Jays fan. And his wife is from Cleveland, so they're a Blue Jays-Indians split cap household, if such a thing exists. And he said that he was actually glad that both teams were eliminated because... He said he loves going to a baseball game. He loves, you know, drinking a beer. He he hates the Ricketts family. He lives in Chicago. He hates the Ricketts family, and he thinks that Wrigleyville has been turned into a Disneyland. But when you're in your seat at Wrigley Field, it, you're in a little slice of paradise. And he loves the experience of watching baseball when you're at the stadium. But he said postseason baseball, especially for him, was really not fun and, and, and borderline unwatchable. And he's almost glad that the two teams that they have a rooting interest in are out so he can just watch football instead. And uh, and he's a huge sports fan. So I'm like, hmm, wow, something's I, I, I kind of trust his intuition here. But uh, yeah, clearly, clearly, I think baseball still got some work to do when it comes to presenting a compelling product that that translates on TV, and and some of the problems that that people have had on the broadcast side uh, have really contributed, I think, to to making some of these games not as as fun to watch. I mean, the fact that Dave Fleming had to fly from San Francisco to Charlotte to to call a game in Oakland is just, I mean, even by the standards of 2020, is just really really dumb. So, and there was a lag on their broadcast, and they weren't able to talk to each other, uh, Fleming and, and Jessica Mendoza. So. Um, you know, it's all going to be imperfect and, and we all got to be patient with everything, but it's it's sort of too bad that that, that broadcast viewing experience hasn't been as good as it could be. Yeah, that was, that was a wild story. As for your friend uh, being happy that the Indians and Blue Jays are out of the postseason... Uh, that sounds like a little bit of loser talk. So yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, all right, let's switch gears. Let's switch gears. Uh, by the way, if if you want to read about the the difficulties on ESPN, uh, read Steve Berman's piece on our site because he talks to Dave Fleming and it's it's very good. It's just difficult. It's 2020 for the broadcasters too. It's it's just a real hot mess all around. Um, we're going to go to the press conference, the end of year, the post-mortem. And I look forward to this every year. You get to glean some insights. You get to extrapolate sometimes maybe too much on what the Giants might do. Uh, I Let me let me get your thoughts because we both listened to it. Uh, but I, I my takeaway was fairly obvious that the Giants are going to really have to focus this, this offseason on the pitching. It's going to be retaining their pending free agents if they... If, 
they're able to, it's going to be digging for new free agents, trade market. Uh, that's to me, the, sort of the focus is, is that what you picked up as well? Yeah. You know, I, I just wasn't expecting a whole lot of clarity because, you know, they're still doing their revenue projections. That's changing from minute to minute. They don't know if they're going to have fans next year or if it's going to have to be, you know, fans in every third seat or every fifth seat. Or I mean, there's so many different models that they probably have up in the air and they have no idea what, what next year is going to look like. Um, they just know what kind of revenue hit they took this year. And you don't know what every other team is going to do and what their projections look like and how many teams are going to be like, okay, everybody who's going to make money in arbitration, we got to get rid of them. And the Diamondbacks have already kind of done that, uh, right, with some of the trades that they made. Yeah. And, and and so there may be opportunities for the Giants, uh, more opportunities. Uh, but I, I really think it's hard to analyze what they're going to do. I mean, yes, of course they want to re-sign Kevin Gaussman and Drew Smiley, but you don't know what the market's going to be like for those guys. And there's no way you would sign them proactively when you don't know what they're going to command and, and what the price point's going to be. And I mean, there's just so much that we don't know in terms of, you know, what kind of, what, what, the, what what's going to be out there for them to pick from and what the price points are going to be and what their ownership is going to tell them that they can spend. Um, but what we do know is is what we just saw. It was 60 games. The analysis of those 60 games is going to be different because those, the season was different. Um, but we know what they need, and they need more pitching. They need to either replace or re-sign some of the pitchers that they're going to lose, and they need to add pitching in addition to that. They need more bullpen, and Farhan Zaidi said that they could use a left-handed bat and even a backup catcher so they can start Joey Barton AAA because, you know, clearly he needs more development. But the big thing was that Farhan Zaidi said the P word. He said that our goal is to be a playoff team, and I think you have to have that as your goal when you come up one game short, even if it's in a weird 60-game pandemic shortened season when you end with a 29-31 and 31 record. I wrote about whether or not the 2020 season was a, a success in for this year again. It, I think this year was a success. I think they, they had goals. They reached some of those goals. They didn't reach others. But overall, it was another step forward. I felt like last year was a step forward where they're proving they could go out and identify talent, retain that talent, hone that talent, whether it's Dickerson or Yastrzemski. And this year, it's, well, can you maintain the gains that you made? Can you keep that sort of offense going? They did even better. They got their veterans up to speed. I think it was a success. But at some point, like you have to stop grading on a curve. And that's where the Giants are at this point. They are not going to be grading on a curve. They're not going to be, they're not going to get extra credit or bonus points. It's going to be, okay, maybe 2021 is the year that we have to start the the perennial contention. And, you know, they did finish below 500, uh, even though it was a season that was very positive in so many respects that we've talked about. But it's four years in a row that they've been below 500. And the Giants never in franchise history ever have uh, have had five consecutive years where they've been below 500. So I think that is your absolute floor. I mean, this I, you're looking at expectations, and expectations are often driven by ownership and fans and and the media. So you know that's going to drive a lot of things like ticket sales and revenue. I mean, the Giants have always said we can't rebuild here and strip down and lose 100 games intentionally because you know they have sponsorships, they have they have fans who who have seat licenses. I mean, they they made promises to these people to try to be competitive year after year. So, but then a lot of that does it go out the window if the fans can't be at the ballpark? I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a 
you would think it would be an imperative for them to at least be a winning team next year because they've never had five losing seasons in a row. But everything's different. Everything is is um, all the circumstances are different from how they usually are. But I, I do think that incremental improvement has been sort of the 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 thing that we've used to judge whether the year has been a success. And every year, I think we have seen incremental improvement. Um, you know, since Farhan Zaidi took over, so you know, for them to improve from this point forward. Honestly, it doesn't involve the playoffs, I, I don't think, because they weren't that good a team this past year. I mean, the run differential was about even, but you look at the Dodgers and the Padres and the NL West, I, I just don't know if it's realistic that the Giants' timetable is going to be to capital A arrive next season. But, um, you know, their, what their sense of urgency is going to be, uh, I think, is, is probably what we're trying to gauge right now. And you didn't get that sense that they were going to go out and try to sign everybody and try to make a lot of moves. I mean, Farhan Zaidi was still talking about retaining flexibility, retaining the ability to give opportunities to young players and not block them. So I think they're kind of going to be in a similar mode to what they've been in uh, in the past couple of years. I think one aspect in which they, because you can look at the Padres and the, the Padres finished below the Giants last year. They had some, you know, a lot of injury problems, but they finished with a worse record than the 2019 Giants. And now they've, they've overtaken them. The big difference between the two franchises is that before this season, they had already They already had their super prospect in place, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., and they already had committed a a chunk of payroll to those veteran that veteran support group with Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer uh, and Drew Pomerantz and and, and, and a couple others. Uh, That's the big difference. The Giants haven't done that yet. They haven't given out uh, those those eight figure contracts, nine figure contracts. They haven't promoted that that uh, superstar who's you know clearly going to be a foundational piece in the future. They, they had Joey Bart up and he's more of a, of a question mark at this point. So I think that's a huge difference. And if, if you're looking for a reason, well, why can't the Giants be the, the Padres next year? I think that's it. Yeah. The one way that they could really jumpstart things is if they start trading prospects for, for established big leaguers. Um, I, I think that that may be uh, an opportunity that's open to them if they feel they've got enough in the pipeline. But that's so hard to gauge because you weren't able to develop or show off any of those prospects this past year. And teams that would be trading for them would be trading for, you know, an asset that they have a year old intelligence on. So, yeah, it's it's I, I kind of think they're going to be locked up a little bit in terms of what they can do this offseason. The part of the, the press conference that fascinated me was the the idea that they're going to get a left handed bat. And the reason it fascinated me is because every player who finished the season on the Giants 40-man roster, every position player with more than 10 at-bats is going to be back if the Giants want them. Now, you know, they, they might part ways with Tyler Heineman or or they might trade Evan Longore. I mean, there, there's still a lot of different ways they can go. But generally, the, the offense is, is as set as they want it to be, except for that left-handed bat. And so they really have to find like this perfect fit. If if they're not going to do a whole lot of tinkering with the offense, if it if it's just as good, they won't need to do as much tinkering. But that left-handed bat fascinates me because you can go in a, a lot of different directions. You can go infield. Uh, you can go someone who is who can play second or third, like a Flores or a Solano, but from the left side. Or you can go for a, a left-handed compliment to Mauricio Dumon in center. Uh, that might be a Jackie Bradley. It might be a Jock Peterson. It might be the Mike Yastrzemski of 2021 or the 
Aaron Altair of 2021. I mean, there's a lot of different play- ways you can go. Uh, so I'm fascinated to see which direction they take. Yeah, and and the one thing they're going to have to balance that is they made a lot of concessions to their defense, especially early in the season, to you know get more offense. And they're not going to have, at least right, as of right now, um, there's nothing in stone that would say they would have a DH next year, which you know maybe that'll change. Um, but you know if, if the DH goes away, then they're going to have to prioritize somebody who can play well and contribute on both sides of the ball because I think we all saw the value of defense this past season. Absolutely. I mean, that that's one of the reasons why when I'm looking at, I'm scanning the list of names and I'm going, no, yes, no. Oh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Huh. You know, he had a very nice year, a very nice on-base percentage year. Uh, he, he tightened up his strikeout-to-walk ratio. He can still glide in center field. He seems like a very nice player, a nice complimentary player. Uh, he's not going to hit a billion home runs. He's not going to get on base at a 40% clip. But that that's a guy I'm starting to target as, as someone who makes a lot of sense for the 2021 Giants. You know, yeah, outfield defense, I think, is is always important in the NL West when you play a bunch of games at Coors Field and, and, and the Giants ballpark as well, even though the outfield's a little smaller than it was before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see just how many eggs they put in the Mauricio Dubon basket. And I think that I think that he's someone that they do believe will be an everyday player for the most part on next year's team. So, uh, But do you want to try to you know, run a compliment in there so that you really can use him the way that, that I think they intended to use him when they acquired him from the Brewers, which was you know sort of using him like a, a, a Chris Taylor type player where you could start him in center and, as part of a platoon there and then bring him in and, and, and get matchups on the infield as well. You know, maybe Brandon Crawford takes uh, a few more days off against uh, lefties, and then you could put Dubon at short. So, you know, they kind of got away from that when Dubon became the everyday center fielder, but he played well enough out there to to make you think that he could go out there every day, or at least, you know, make that a, a big part of his, uh, where he gets uh, his playing time. So, you know, that'll be interesting. I think they gained a lot of good intel uh, on, on him, and that may govern, you know, part of the decision of where they try to target a left-handed bat. One of the things that Gabe Kapler said that that really stuck with me in that that press conference was that they're looking for Dubon to get stronger. And that is something that I saw a lot this year, especially toward the end when his swing was a little bit more refined and he's starting to, to have better pitch selection. He would put a swing on the ball and it was the right pitch to swing at. It looked like the right swing and it would go to the warning track. And, I, you know, if you're going to have Dubon in center more than shortstop or, you know, certainly shortstop, but, you know, maybe second base, if you're thinking of him more long term as more of an outfielder, it might be a little easier to bulk him up and be OK with that. And you're not going to lose a lot of the infield or outfield athleticism. You might lose some of the infield athleticism, uh, but you're going to get that power because it looked by the end of the season, he had a lot of things going right. He just wasn't quite, you know, strong enough to, to get it over the warning track. Yeah, it reminds me of a conversation I had in spring training this was like, you know, days before the pandemic wiped everything out. But uh, I was talking to, well, Barry Bonds, and I wanted to get his idea of what it was like to work with these new hitting coaches and some of the, some of the uh, data that they had. And, 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 you know, how does his sensibilities about hitting, because we all know he's one of the most intelligent hitters of all time. How does that sort of mirror up with all of the different things that are at uh, the modern hitting instruction that are part of, of you know, uh, trying to figure out 
uh, how to mold somebody's swing or design someone's swing these days. So um, I was talking to a couple of the Giants hitting coaches, and I said, what what about Barry Bonds uh, do you find most remarkable? And I think it was Justin Veely who said, oh, he's just got elite ground interface. And I'm like, what? what? What is that? So they had these things that are called force plates, and they had people take swings in the cages while standing on these force plates. And they can measure what happens with your weight shift and where, you know, just how much force you're putting into the ground uh, at different points in your swing. And that's a big part of, of trying to design a swing that works and, and allows you to, you know, get behind the ball and, and, and really uh, hit with a lot of exit velocity uh, is, is your ground interface and your ground contact. And that's, I think, where they're looking at with Dubon is, is you know, they're trying to make him have some better elite ground interface. And that happens when you've got a stronger lower half. So, um yeah, it's you know, I guess the opposite would be if you're if you're you know hitting while standing on a bunch of marbles or something, you're just off balance or or you know you don't have your legs underneath you in your swing, um, and you wonder I wonder if they can do that to measure catchers too, and as like a Buster Posey goes through a long season, uh, you know what happens to him after he's been in the squad all year? Um, they could probably measure some of the ways that he gets fatigued by his how his ground interface changes. See. If someone had been around in 1992 to tell me how to get elite ground interface, I would still be in the big leagues right now. <laughs> you know, I may be like a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder, but all I needed, you know, to really get over that hump was elite ground interface. Yeah, I, I'm still waiting for ESPN to start televising like the like professional T-ball because I, I really feel like I could have stuck with it and I could have made it if if, if T-ball was... Uh, you know, if they just kept it like that going up the line. The ground interface Olympics. All right. Well, I, I'm looking at the, the lineup and their position players returning. You're going to have Posey back. Brandon Belt, I guess there's a chance that a team would, would trade for him after his superlative year this year. But I, I also think it's it's more likely that the team that's paying him a lot of money is going to end up keeping him and, and enjoying him. Uh, second base is relatively covered with Solano uh, and, and maybe Flores, if you consider him a second baseman. Crawford certainly justified his existence, and, he, and he'll be back. The one that I, I keep stopping on, though, is Evan Longoria. And not because he did poorly. He did fine. And just like the year before that... He was fine. Uh, you know, in his Giants career, he has a 96 OPS plus, which means he's just a tick below the league average hitter, but he he supplements that with pretty darn good defense. And so he's fine. He's an average player. He's, he's great. Uh, but is there a chance that the Giants would pay down a huge chunk of that contract? Uh, I think he's owed something like after the raise, pay pay some of it. They owe about thirty three million or so over the next two years. Do the Giants pay that down this year, or is that something that maybe they're just satisfied with that and they're going to focus something on on something else this year? You know, I I really think it's um it's really really difficult to imagine people taking on much money at all. Um, and there there's a reason that Jeff Samarja wasn't traded. There's a reason that Longoria hasn't been traded. There's a reason that Farhan Zaidi hasn't been able to unload, aside from Mark Melanson, which I'm still amazed <laughs> by. Um, he has not been able to unload any of these contracts, and you better believe he's tried. Um, he's tried to create as much flexibility as possible, and I think as he got into the job, uh, it, it probably surprised him just how difficult it was to move 
move contracts. And when he looks at what he's got at his disposal, um, one of, one of the biggest things he one of the biggest feathers in his cap, at least in normie times, was uh, that he's got a budget more budget than a lot of other clubs, and so he can afford to make a Will Wilson deal where they take on a dead contract and get a prospect. Um, but I think the opposite is is really really rare to where you can get teams to take on portions of you know sort of I guess non-efficient money due to, to declining players. And so I I would be shocked if if there's a market out there for Evan Longoria that doesn't require the Giants to eat basically all of it. And if that's the situation, you might as well keep him. Uh, because like you said, he still provides an asset to them. And I think that he did help them quite a bit this year. And he, he was he was a good sort of um, foundational piece in their clubhouse too. I think he really helped right. a lot of guys and provided some leadership. And so I totally anticipate that Evan Longoria will be the third baseman for the duration of his contract, or at least for next season. Uh, yeah, tis the season for, for me to start looking at these players as if they are, you know, widgets. And I forget, like, yeah, pretty solid dude respected in the clubhouse. And if he's going to be a solid player, why not just keep him instead of paying him to play somewhere else? Now, your comment about Melanson, I I snorted because I still can't believe that deal. On the other hand, uh, I just looked, Sam Coonrod, 2020, negative 0.7 war. Uh, Mark Melanson, one war. And let's just round it up to maybe two wins or, hey, let's, let's be generous and say it was just one win. Uh, the Giants probably could have used that extra win out of the bullpen. What do you think? They absolutely could have used one more, uh, one more dependable arm. I mean, uh, you know, you saw how much they used Tyler Rogers. He 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 pitched in more games than anyone else in the National League. He appeared in twenty nine games, and uh, uh, and I think he appeared that many times because they didn't have enough other right-handed options that they could trust. I mean, uh, you know, Trevor Gott, I think uh, it was really unfortunate what happened to him. I think he just had a run where he didn't have his best command and then just calamities happened behind him. And and it was just, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it, there was just hardly any recovering from that. Uh, Coonrod was someone who didn't show command all year. He was drilling people in the helmet, you know. So um, it, it really was a flawed bullpen, from a, especially from a right-handed standpoint. Um, and you're right. I mean, Melanson had a nice bounce back year, and, uh, and, and now he and Pablo Sandoval are together in the playoffs, which is wild. <laughs> Talking this out with you, I've just, I'm going to write a whole dang column on this, because at the time the Mark Melanson deal was made, it was, you know, party in the streets. They got a, not just salary relief, but they, they got a, a bona fide prospect in Tristan Beck, and we still don't know what Beck can provide. Uh, funny, we don't have any stats on him this year. Uh, but, it, you know, Melanson deal at the time made a ton of sense for the Giants and I guess maybe with without trading Melanson maybe the Giants don't have Kevin Gaussman or Drew Smiley or both because the the flexibility but it, it just goes to show like baseball doesn't care what you think next year is going to be because if the Giants could have traded Tristan Beck this year for a Melanson type reliever I think they would have done it even though they were it was still a, a, ambiguous at the deadline if they could have uh, traded a little bit of their extra payroll flexibility for a Melanson like reliever I think they would have done it at the, at the Deadline. So that just goes to show you what a year of baseball is like. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing that, that that Farhan did say is, you know, when these guys are competitive and when they do show that they are in it, we're going to support them and we're going to have the flexibility to be able to make moves 
at the deadline to help. And I think I, I do think that will be one change that we see next year, regardless of just all of the unknowns and all of the variables and all of the different revenue projections, which are all just a complete guess right now. I do think that if the Giants are you know on the fringes of contention at the trade deadline next season, I think you'll see a little more activity from this front office to to you know do do a few more meaningful things uh, to add to the mix and not just see it as an op- opportunity you know as hey it's a deadline it's an action date let's try to make moves that help us in the future um, I, I not that they're gonna do a, like a Wheeler for Beltron type of trade but I do think they would do more uh, and be have a little more sense of urgency to add to that group and make a push yeah. That makes that makes a ton of sense. And this was always going to be a weird year to add at the deadline. Not only are you not entirely sure of your status after one month of baseball, but you're not seeing your own prospects as well as you might you could have. Certainly, other teams aren't looking at your prospects and getting the best possible scouting report. Uh, you have this weird off season coming up where you don't know how much anyone's going to spend. Uh, I, this wasn't the deadline to go all in for a variety of reasons. But next year. I don't know. I think it's going to be less trying to move the Sam Dysons and Mark Melanson's of the world and, and more trying to acquire them if you need them. Uh, I think they're they're sort of past the point of we're going to take a gaggle of B minus C plus prospects and see what shakes out and more. Hey, we've got a lot of B minus C plus prospects and we can't just wait around for them to shake out. I think it's going to be a little bit of a reversal. Yeah. And, and, and part of that, too, is is they're getting closer to the sunsetting of a lot of these contracts. I mean, you've got Longoria is on the books for 20 20- 22, but you know that's really it. There's a few option buyouts as well, um, but aside from that, they don't have any money committed uh, past 2022. So um, you know, as they get closer to the end of the Cueto, Posey, Belt, Crawford uh, contracts, um, then that's going to open things up for them, and that's the flexibility that uh, they're talking about. All right, real quick, I'm going to take your temperature on this. This off season. Are, what are you going to set the odds at? On one side of the spectrum, you have a nice, calm, predictable offseason in which the Giants sign a left-handed batch, and it's going to be someone like Jason Kipnis, and they're going to get maybe one outfielder, one reliever, uh, a Drew Smiley-type starting pitcher, maybe keep one of Gaussman and Smiley. This is what they do. They dust the hands off. They go into 2021. Or is there going to be a December surprise? Is there going to be, by the way, we've decided to assume all of Giancarlo Stanton's contract because the Yankees don't want to pay it. Is there going to be some big whopper there? They're going to trade Joey Bart for Casey Mize, which is a mock trade that made me giggle um, <laughs> recently. Like, Is there going to be something like that? Put the odds on a, a whopper. Well, the, the whopper to me that sticks out is Trevor Bauer. I mean, mm. that that that's a chin stroker right there. Um, I, I wonder, especially if, if he wants a, if he doesn't want a long term contract, uh, that which he said. What what did he say? If he signs a long term contract or a multi year contract, he'll take a, a paintball to the groin. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, um, I I don't know. It's that 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 one interests me um, because it it would kind of be a really good fit in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they could do something that's surprising on the pitching side. But uh, the one thing we know about this front office is, and this goes back to Farhan's time with the Dodgers, he does not like to give out you know, multi-year deals or, or long-term deals to pitchers. But if you have an elite pitcher who wants to, to join you on a short deal, that might be a match made in heaven. Trevor Bauer is something of a dingus. 
but he is a very talented dingus. Uh, here's here's the thing. He has a history of, of being an amateur rapper. And with Tyler Beatty coming back, I mean, you could have the Trevor Tyler. You could you could have a little group going, you know? Let's I let's blow up SoundCloud. What do you think? All right, no, no, I'm totally against the idea. Do not sign <laughs> Trevor Bauer. We do not need that. <laughs> oh mercy! All right, well, this has been episode 107 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back next week to share more insights, and we'll see if the Dodgers have advanced. Of course, they will have. Uh, and we'll talk about stuff. I like stuff. You like stuff. We'll see you then.